0: To say that the podcast for your big questions, your real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Hello, I was all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee. Is Lee Younger? Yes, we have a great show lined up for you this week. We've got some more of your fantastic questions, but first we must declare an artificial intelligence emergency. Wow! Oh. Wow! That's right. It,
1: wait. At first, I thought you were going to say an artificial emergency, and I was like. I think that's been
0: most of our emergency.: that would, that would be a certain <laughs> like level over yeah, a decade. pulling the curtain back on the bit.
2: <laughs> Lee, I'm afraid this emergency is all too real. Wow.
0: Well, well well we'll let the listener be the judge of that. so a couple a couple of months ago we when the kind of chat GPT and the whole uh, generative AI thing was was getting a lot of press we we surmised uh, had a little fun and the idea of what the the Christian uh, versions of that might be, I believe we came up with a, a, a CS Lewis bot that would That's right. Uh, l- tell the pastor that he thought their sermon was very wise and nod along approvingly and that kind of thing. Um. So imagine, so, you know, ha ha ha. We had a little fun on our, on our, on our goof <laughs> little podcast, imagining dumb ways Christians might use AI. And then because we're cursed, uh, we realized that uh, of course uh, Christians, <laughs> Started using the AI, and they came up with goofier stuff than we uh, even posited. So we're we're uh. checking up on our monkey's paw situation that we <laughs> tend to have on this show, where even we, after over a decade of complaining, uh, griping, and uh, speaking down to how Christians do things, particularly in this country, uh, we still somehow overestimate them. <laughs> and that brings us. To pulpit AI. Oh, yeah. Mm. Deepen engagement and resource your church with AI-generated content taken from a single sermon. Now, they want to be very clear about this, because I saw there's the, the guy who runs this thing tweeted it out. That, hey, we're doing this, and find whoever. And then people were like, so wait, or just like writes a sermon for for you? And he was very clear, that's not what's happening. no. No, it's no, not it. No, he doesn't write it. No, we have a team of interns that we're not allowed to talk about. They're the ones who write the sermon and they will continue to be the ones who write the sermon because they are still technically cheaper than an AI program. And how? (laughs) And when I write my book, that's full of factual inaccuracies. I can't blame the AI program for not doing the research. If I get sued, like many uh, prominent Christian authors have done. Uh, When, when it's, when it's time to rake in the money, it's by global, it's by senior global pastor. So-and-so. When someone points out, hey, this is not true or this is not, it was like, well, you know, we do have a team that puts this stuff together. And was, that was Doug. Yeah. That was, wasn't me. If anything, this was a minor lapse in, in leadership, but I'll, we'll get on that. So the question becomes uh, I'm sure you're on the edge of your seat, dear listener. Uh, what does Pulpit AI actually do? Well, this doesn't answer that question, but it is what's at the very top of their website in bold print. Turn one sermon into unlimited content.
2: Cool. Okay. Cool.
0: And uh, demon engagement resource your church with AI generated content, taking every single sermon. Then there's three check boxes. One says form, digitally disciple. Resource. Buzzword. Meaningless. Filler. Um, so I don't here's the thing. And I, I understand we live in a world of content. You know, there's HBO Max became Max because it's not like procedure or anything. It's all just content. It's a, did you guys see that when that first happened? They, they tried to remove the credits for writer and director and put everything under the header of creator.
1: Wow. Wow! It was like
0: Goodfellas creator, Martin Scorsese. And then like, I think Spielberg or somebody like threatened to burn down the Warner Disney building. <laughs> they were like, fine, we'll, t- we'll put it back. We'll put it back. It's fine. Yeah, so
1: I'm taking down the water tower, boys. That's right.
0: The flattening of all things into content is is not something you know you can fight. But I still got a weird, a weird creepiness about referring to sermon sermon as unlimited content.
2: <laughs> that yeah yeah
0: that that also speaks to a possible and I'm sure a current a cursed future where we we often. Kind of joke about people whose, whose social media bio is uh, pastor, author, speaker, as if that was all, as if those were all jobs you could do simultaneously, and somehow oh, right. it all got whooshed into one. And uh, pastor slash content creator is somebody's Instagram bio, and that makes me sad.
2: Oh yeah,
1: I thought of a couple things there. One Please? is they, it feels like the megachurch movement likes to squash uh, actual. Uh, things that the Bible talks about, like pastor or you know administrator, or these are actual spiritual gifts for the church. Encourager, servant, into uh, the the title communicator. Yeah, you know that's that's one that the the megachurch likes. The other thing I thought is the, is this was just my knee jerk reaction when you said, uh, I, I think the The phrase was unlimited content. Is that what you said? Yes, indeed. Um, here's the thing about sermons. I would very much like for them to be limited. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's true. I
1: would like some lunch, please. Would you please limit the content and end? Thank you.
0: Yeah, that's a very, very good point. Um, so I have found, uh, speaking of the unlimited content sermon and podcast audio repurposed in minutes. That's right um, on. Cool. Simply upload sermon or podcast audio and have AI seamlessly create notes, articles, social posts, discussion questions, and more. Um, so there's a number of things about that. One of which is programs already exist to do that. Yep. Like you don't need a special Christian code to do that. (laughs) If it's just like timestamps and pulling out quotes and stuff like this is—you uh, saw him coming. Is basically what's happening here.
2: Yeah.
1: But this code is holy, Matt. Yeah. Absolutely, it is.
0: So they have some FAQs on the page, which I find always find instructive for, you know, what what these people think people are asking. Uh, first, first one: Does Pulpit AI create or write sermons? No, Pulpit AI does not help you study, prepare, write, or preach. Okay. You know, all okay. the things that are involved in the pulpit. <laughs> this is, this, you got to love yourself, pulpit AI guys. I know we made fun of, this, this is literally the second Q, FAQ. Who is this for? That's, that's not a, that's not a question somebody asks when they think a product is good. You guys are, you, it's, it's not, you guys gotta, gotta have some confidence here. We believe that AI is the new printing press. Notice it. And our okay. mission is to help preachers, teachers, <laughs> creators, and church teams leverage AI to exponentially multiply content that spreads the gospel, makes disciples, and builds the local church. Cool. I'm starting to think this is just literally copied and pasted from like the business-to-business software-as-a-service pitch deck they have for the same thing. Yeah. And they just kind of did search and replace on like market share and put in local church. Yeah. Yeah. Does pulpit AI use chat GPT pulpit AI utilizes GPT 4 but alone it's not enough to deliver the quality that we aspire to. As such, we mix this amazing technology with proprietary neural networks created by our partners, which were created with podcasting and other audio content in mind.
2: I, I, don't, right on.
0: I don't think that the pulpit AI people made a neural network. I'm just throwing
2: that out there. No. I don't think they did either.
0: Oh, uh, pulpit AI is powered by vast media, which I know we pointed this out before. That's a real super villainy name.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Is there a chance that pulpit AI, the very concept was created by an AI?
0: Like, is there a chance that
2: someone typed into chat GPT create, a Christian business around AI and chat GPT invented pulpit AI.
1: Amazing. That's, that's meta sentient and hilarious.
2: Why? Thank
1: you. The trifecta.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It also kind of presages a, a Christian version of the Terminator where (laughs) this is what, instead of Skynet, this is what went bananas. And it's just kind of boring everyone with endless. Humanity is trapped in an endless sermon and can't get to lunch. Yeah, <laughs> so they have to go back in time and defeat the creators of pulpit AI.
1: No, Pastor made another point that
2: starts with the letter P. The world wasn't ended by Skynet, but by thy net. Oh. oh! There it is. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. I'd like to thank the academy.
0: Uh, yeah. So that's that's all uh, terrible, but so we we started poking around the AI to see you know what, what are the Christians saying? What's going on? How are we how are we feeling about this? And we came across a couple of things. One of which is um, uh, frequent uh, subject on the show and uh, fast food enjoyer Franklin Graham, <laughs> who put out a, a little video on Twitter in in July. And here's the thing on this show. There's, you don't have to like, we've, we've pointed out many times over the years, you have to separate the art from the artist in some ways. And Mm. we, we don't particularly agree with uh, Franklin Graham on much of anything, but one thing we do appreciate on this show is a good, solid Jesus juke. Absolutely. Which is a bit of an older term. If you're not familiar with it. it is, it is the, uh, think of the stereotypical kind of, youth pastor transition into now is serious God talk time.
1: Sure. You spend time on Facebook, but have you spent any time in his book?
0: That's, that's exactly, that's, that's the platonic ideal kind of, you know? Um, so fantastic. Absolutely. Right. And this, this is an all timer. I think I read from, from Franklin Graham's account, artificial intelligence. I'm gonna have to, let me see if I can pull the fake Southern accent out. Um, someone with a real Southern accent doing a fake Southern accent, which I think actually sums up Franklin Graham's whole shtick pretty well. Um, (laughs) artificial intelligence is something that everybody's talking about, but I think about the one who created all intelligence, almighty God, he created the entire universe and created you and wants a relationship with you. Wow. The one who created all intelligence. Like again, I don't like Franklin Graham, but (laughs) you got to recognize when someone is, is, accomplishing in their realm. That also just brings up the, the myriad of horrible sermon analogies, uh, Jesus jukes transitions that have been brought on by AI being in the news. Cause there's one thing we know it's that the only thing pastors love more than a kind of cute turn of phrase is a cute turn of phrase based on something they don't really understand. <laughs> yeah. Like there's probably been a lot of like Barbenheimer ones in churches that are trying to be cool. And yeah, you don't have to, my favorite double my favorite double feature is the old and new Testament.
2: Oh, that's very good. (laughs) That's very good.
0: The one we came up with, uh, as we were talking before the show is is somebody has almost certainly said, you know, I hear a lot about chat GPT nowadays, but sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta get up in the morning and chat with G O D. Oh, Oh, man.
3: Oh golly!
0: Yeah, you can hear the wound in Lee because he knows someone <laughs> has done that totally unironically,
1: and and probably a uh, famed college football coach Dabo Swinney,
0: while wearing an orange blazer that even I, That's right. as someone who's been to many Tennessee games, finds assaulting to the eye.
2: <laughs> well, kids, we've had a lot of fun today talking about a man who claimed to become the destroyer of worlds. No, now I'd like to tell you about the real destroyer of worlds. Your sin. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh.
0: That's that's very good.
2: Thank you. Thank you. That that you know what that felt good as I, you know, kind of put it out there.
0: I'd like to tell you about another guy who went to the desert in search of <laughs> finding the secrets of life. Yeah, you can actually start a number of, ser- of sermons about uh, biblical characters that way.
1: Abs- right? You know, kids, everybody who goes to see Barbie is taking these photos in a giant box before they step into the theater. But how many of you are in the box of your own self-consumption? Of <gasps> your own sin.
0: Oh, damn, that's good. That's very good. I was trying to think of a Barbie one and the the only I have not seen it yet. So the only scene I've, I've seen like clips of is where the Ryan the Ryan Gosling is the Ken character points out, which is a very funny observation of my, my job isn't lifeguard. My job is beach. <laughs> beach Ken. I guess it's like, yeah, the way they used to like put it on the box or something. But what if your job was just faithful? Oh, wow.
1: Would God oh. say you're
0: doing such a good job at faithful?
1: Wow. wow, that's, that's I mean, very good. The, the, the guilt off of that right there is just so heavy. Yeah. It's just all-encompassing. It's, like, it, it's, it's like Alabama humidity, that, the guilt <laughs> off of that line.
0: Yeah. That is 94% saturation, no doubt about it. Yes. And that brings us to our, our final AI-centric story um, from the, the no less a source than the Washington Post. Uh, in July, uh, this is a headline that uh, this is this is where we move into the the horror portion of our comedy show here. Quote, "Judeo-Christian roots will ensure U.S. military AI is used ethically," General says. Uh huh. A three-star Air Force general said the U.S. military's approach to artificial intelligence is more ethical than adversaries because it is a quote Judeo-Christian society," in an assessment that drew scrutiny from experts to say people from a wide range of religious and ethical traditions can resolve the work to resolve the dilemma AI poses. Wow. This guy ever heard of the Crusades? <laughs> nope. <laughs> like, uh, speaking of Oppenheimer, uh, yeah, if there's one thing we know, it's that uh, the United States and uh, people who are Christian have never taken a new technology and used it for horrible ends. We know that much. <laughs> Wow! Look, I, I look, maybe look to if you're looking for some fun reading. European colonialism,
2: yeah. a number of
0: technological innovations from Judeo-Christian nations uh, used uh, for maybe uh, maybe we shouldn't trust it. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> Imagine, because you know, if you're a three-star general in the Air Force, and as I understand it. Uh, from my friends who've been in all watched in the military, the Air Force is supposed to be the smart ones, so not only are you in charge, you're up there, and and you say out loud with a straight face, Well, no, I know that this thing has horrible uh, moral and ethical implications, but as long as Christians, as American Christians, use it, I think we'll be fine. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, that's a uh, Again, much like the, uh, the titular movie we're talking about here, we had some fun along the way, but we ended on a horrifying existential note, and I think You're that's good. welcome. So on that said note, we will go ahead and transition to your fine questions. If you have a question for us, feel free to hang out with us all the way to the end. I'll get some ways to get in touch, or you can scroll down to your episode description, click the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says, someone recently suggested I set an alarm on my phone and remind- to remind myself to pray several times a day. It seems like it could become a superstition really quick. Oh no, I missed the two o'clock, two o'clock prayer. God is going to get me. Is this something that can be good? And uh, I, think it's, I think it's a great question. You know, we talked in the last episode, we talked about some, some prayer superstition stuff. We also talked about the idea of uh, what it actually means to not be judgmental. And I think this is a very interesting uh, example of kind of what we're talking about of asking questions, of digging more into things. You, know, you hear a thing. And you think, well, that strikes me as odd. But the uh, I think the wiser path and going like, oh, what a creep who told me to do that. And, you know, they're they're being weird and legalistic is to uh, ask some questions, dig in, uh, think about it, could this be a thing or what are the positives and negatives? So I, I really applaud that thinking in the question. And Jed, where do we start off here?
2: Well, I'm right there with you, Matt. I think it's a great question. I don't because i wasn't there when whoever suggested it suggested it, i i can't tell you for sure what they had in mind but i can imagine a scenario where there's a great goal so let's let's maybe talk about what the goal might be i think a possible goal is that we're trying to you know fairly simply just cultivate a stronger awareness and ongoing sense of connection throughout the day to deeper spiritual realities right for, for any of us it's really really easy to get caught up in the micro dramas of our own day right that that might be dealing with all the noise and unkindness online that could be dealing with office politics that could be um you know dealing with with kids that are having a rough day you know there's there's a million variations but for any of us it it is very easy for kind of our our focus and our whole world, so to speak, to kind of get drawn into what is immediately in front of us and what is kind of demanding our attention in any given moment. Because we, we do live in a world that is very, very demanding on our attention. And something that is can be very life-giving for a lot of people, and, and particularly people of faith, is finding ways to remain connected to a deeper spiritual reality throughout the day. It's not that you know, it's not that I don't have to deal with these office politics, but it's also not the only thing that's true of my life. You know, it is is—it is much more true that I am the beloved of God and that I am, you know, accepted and loved and, and embraced as, as, you know, God's child. These are really cool things. And, and again, they are things that a lot of people find really helpful and really grounding and really encouraging. And so if that's a goal, and that's a pretty good goal, then there comes a question, well, how do we do that? How do I... Throughout the day, kind of just promote that sense within myself of that awareness and and that connection. Well, then we get into this question of what works for you? Mm -hmm. What works for you and what works for your unique life, your unique situation, your unique brain, your unique way of of being in the world and thinking of the world. And here we come to the thing that what might be really useful for somebody else might be a total drag and even counterproductive for you. And you kind of have to know what the goal is and then be prepared to to try some things and see how they go. Um, If we don't know what the goal is, or if we're not keeping that front and center, it's really super easy to descend into something that is kind of superstitious and is also kind of oddly mechanical. Like you, you must do this because it's the Christian thing to do. It's not, actually in the bible but it I have been informed I must do it because it is a christian thing to do. And there's a there's a lot of that, right? So like here's an example that was really big when I was younger that I'm sure is still circulating. But the the serious christians, like the super christians, like the kind of christian like the varsity level christians. Ah. Oh. mean, they got had a
0: special jacket.
2: That's exactly right. They had their quiet time at like 5 a.m. Wow earlier the quiet time occurs the better so like five thirty, like i mean if you're a beginner that's okay but you know what's better than 5 30 now once you've mastered five fifteen, it's time to move on to 5 a.m but wait 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 just when you thought i was done nope four let's do it let's rock and roll baby all right here's what and
0: jed if you allow me to interject please i need you understand this gentle younger listener this was a thing people found a way to brag annoyingly about before social media existed.
1: Impressive. This is yeah. not an
0: Instagram photo, like time stamped with the coffee and like, it, Oh, getting into his word. This was you. Somebody had to tell you, Oh man. Yeah. I re- read this morning when I was up at 445 AM. Um, I, I was just reading through Ecclesiastes and if, I, you know, if, I didn't have to like, get up early <laughs> four forty five five is when I do it every day. It's just like so quiet and peaceful, but it's like just the effort that went into Explaining this to people was uh, almost un- unimaginable. Now,
2: <laughs> that is that is a good note and totally true. And they would they would find ways to bring it up. Now, here's the thing: is there are people for whom the five a.m. quiet time or five a.m. meditation or whatever is a brilliant idea. I you know, I know people who have kids, and you know those kids are up by by six every single day. And if I don't, you know. Once the kids are up, that's what I'm doing now. And if I want some time to just, you know, to be still and to meditate and to connect and to, you know, consider the word, whatnot, like it's got to be before that. And so that's what I do. That's great. But if that's not your situation, that that's probably not a good fit. Like if you work second shift and you're not in bed till like two in the morning, the idea that it's magically more spiritual for you to get up three hours later to have a quiet time is, is <laughs> it's not true and, and not even close to true. So Whenever we start talking about spiritual practices or sometimes you'll hear people talk about spiritual disciplines, which basically means the same thing, but it sounds holier. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to keep in mind the goal. Um, figuring out how to, how to consistently meditate, for example, is a great goal. Figuring out how to throughout a given day – uh, be more in touch with deeper spiritualities is is a great goal and a really good idea and and could be a good I- idea for you. But the way to implement it and the way that it'll work well, that you kind of have to figure out for yourself. You have to try things and recognize that there aren't right paths or wrong paths. There's just the thing that works for you.
0: Absolutely right. I think that's a fantastic place to start. That off and Lee, where do we go from there?
1: I'd pick it up in the exact same place. Um, I, I really like this this idea of finding out kind of the unique fingerprint of what does your day look like? What does your schedule look like? What does your temperament look like? What does your, uh, when, when during the day do you have, do you have energy for prayer? When during the day is your brain engaged well in, in, in just thinking abstractly or thinking specifically? Um, you know, there, there are points of my day where my, you know, it's like I, I, I could not, um, you know, think in a way that was inclusive or creative or anything like that. And to put pressure on that point of the day would, would, excuse me, be like a total waste of time. You have to consider the fact that every single human being is built differently, has a different temperament, has a different, like, I think it, it was a really good uh, catch for Jed to say different schedule. Um, people just have, a, people have different lives. The problem here is that if we take something that the way that God intended it to be a part of our lives was to be something that would be um, an aid to processing, a gift of meditation, um, uh, a help when we're down or when we're hurting, if you want to take something that is potentially really really beautiful like that, if you want to kill it, then just make rules around it. Yep. And that's what we're talking about here is if Now, uh, that being said, you might be the kind of person who like having little alarms on your phone would be the best way for you to engage in prayer. If that works for you, that's really really awesome. There are other people for whom any kind of rule added to a thing immediately kills it. It's a thing that we talked about. I think we talked about this recently on the podcast that like, it's the idea of, of, you know, Bible commentators making a commentary on the book of Psalms. It's like, well, you just killed it. If you want to make commentary about, about poetry and songwriting, then you immediately take all of the soul out of it. Um, and that, and that's a thing that we've got to consider with prayer is how can I engage in this in such a way that keeps the soul in it? We want to keep prayer a thing that is emotionally engaging, um, something that is giving to you, and and putting rules around it is the way that you strangle it. Um, so there may be somebody out there for whom, like, um, you know, Just organization and structure is going to bring life uh, to that thing for them. If that's true of you, that's awesome. For many, many other people, that absolutely slaughters it. It absolutely kills everything that would be good about it. So I think that we have to consider just from a purely practical standpoint, prayer is supposed to be a gift. It is supposed to be. um, It is supposed to be encouraging. It is supposed to be a space of, of. it's supposed to be a, a space of processing, all of those things. We don't want to, to do anything that would hamper that process. It's supposed to be a place where your heart could expand, not in a place where uh, it's, it's bogged down by rigidity and multiple and various ways to fail. That's what we want to remove from prayer, is I want to remove the uh, possibility of various and multifaceted ways of failing. We want to make this something that's an easy target to hit and something that is encouraging.
0: I think that's all fantastically put by these guys. Um, One one thing I would add to this is I I don't know how to phrase this better than do you have the ability to be cool about this? Yeah. As a moment to be honest with yourself, I mean that in two ways. One uh, does the, as Lee's pointing out some people, the alarm or the calendar notification, whatever, super helpful. You know, I always get busy in the afternoon and I, I, I I think this would really take, you know, take five minutes, whether it's to pray or breathe or whatever would really calm me down. And I'm, if I don't have something that interrupts my, my kind of normal flow, I'm just never going to get around to that. That totally makes sense for some people, um, a, a notification or the, just the very idea that there's something they are supposed to do at a certain time can be a source of anxiety. And that's not really, you know, great, uh, not going to be helpful. And the other part is, you know, in the sense of, we, we, we mentioned a lot that, you know, when Jesus talks about prayer for the most part in in the, in the gospels, particularly, you know, the, the standout passage among many is the, you know, pray in your closet. Don't pray to, don't pray to make a big deal. So, can you both to yourself, or if you're in a place of other people, can you be cool about it in the sense of like, okay, this is the thing I'm doing, or do you do you just feel and again, it's a moment to be honest with yourself. You're gonna have, you're gonna have that tingle that we all sometimes be like, oh, pardon me, I, I have to step away from my prayer time now. You see, I'm very spiritual, and this is this is my time to do that again, maybe out loud or just to yourself. But that's um that this this is definitely the kind of thing that isn't good or bad it can be good or bad for you certainly it can be good or bad for an individual it doesn't make the whole practice good or bad but it also means that you don't have to try everything that someone gives you um if you think that it would help you can give it a shot if you if you can but just because even if it's someone who uh you know is, is in some kind of mentor relationship or is further along or there's a lot of things they do it doesn't mean everything they do is going to uh, work for you but it, sometimes it does mean it's worth trying
1: um one of the the things that just occurred to me as as Matt was talking there is this is just a little kind of thought experiment for you when it comes to your prayer life. Let's say that you you've set aside some time to pray. And during that prayer time, you fell asleep. You fell asleep for 3-4 minutes and then you woke up and you realize I have fallen asleep during my prayer time. What's your immediate emotional Reaction to that little possibility. Um, if your immediate m- emotional reaction to that possibility is, "Oh no, I have fallen asleep during prayer. I have done prayer badly. I, I am in trouble thee, now." Oh Lord. Yes, I, that's right. Oh, stop groveling! If there's one thing I can't stand, it's groveling. But like, if you, but if you, if you think of the possibility of setting aside some time for prayer, and then you fall asleep for a couple. of You know, a couple seconds or a couple minutes or whatever, then you wake up, and your immediate reaction to that is, man, that would be a really lovely thing. I was relaxed and chill enough to where I actually, in a conversation with the Lord, fell asleep. That's a gift. Um, Then I would say that either whatever those reactions are is going to give you a really good handle on kind of your perception of what prayer is about and what your relationship with the Lord is about. If you immediately feel like I would be in trouble, then then we've got some stuff to work on as far as what is my actual relationship with the Lord. If your immediate reaction is that would be a really lovely thing if I were praying, just to kind of nod off and fall asleep, then I would say you you've got a really healthy idea of the way that God feels about you and the kinds of gifts that he wants to to the kinds of gifts and peace and enjoyment that he wants you to experience.
0: That's really, really well put there. With that, we're going to move on to our next question. Comes in and says, "What's the loving way to act towards my friends who are quote deconstructing or questioning their faith?" I really don't think they would appreciate me trying to convince them that Christianity is actually fine. And as someone who has a lot of friends who are deconstructing, a very well made observation there, question asker. Um, But I, I I think uh, we, I really appreciate this question and where it's coming from because I think if you even if you uh, come from a very uh, welcoming faith tradition or you've done a lot of kind of uh, really good work and really loving churches, there is a a way that people talk about this stuff, which is uh, there's either a, they'll come around eventually, which is possibly problematic in its own way, or here's how we get them back. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's, it's not a good way to treat anyone who's not in the faith. If like, here's how you get them, but particularly when it is someone who, is probably on a deconstruction or questioning journey for a reason and that reason is probably experiences they have had with Christians and church uh, that makes it kind of a real double whammy to try to try the uh to try to pull the church stuff on them um so uh Jed where do we start with this idea of we 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 are still a believer we want to be loving towards this person and how do we do that
2: That's a great question. So let's start by defining some terms. We're at a point where deconstruction is a buzzword, which means it gets used frequently, but not consistently. I know Matt Chandler's
0: angry about it. I don't think he knows what it means either, though.
2: I think that's a safe bet. So I've pulled up the Wikipedia entry for deconstruction. I'm just going to read to you for a second. Deconstruction is a phenomenon within American evangelicalism in which Christians rethink their faith and jettison previously held beliefs, sometimes to the point of no longer identifying as Christians. The term can have a range of meanings. One person defines deconstruction as, quote, the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. Another writer defines it as, quote, a process of re-examining the faith that you grew up with. And lastly, we should note that the term originally comes actually from a philosopher, and it's been a, a bit co-opted to refer to a faith transition, which is not what the person who coined the term initially quite meant by it. Okay. With that in mind, again, the thing about buzzwords is that once something gets into the realm of buzzword, we want to be careful because half the people using it don't know what they mean by it. Yeah. Um and there are, are some people who have heard they're supposed to be against it without fully understanding it, and so they are now. Uh, that's a that's a bad word. There are other people who have been told they should be supportive of this without knowing what it is, so they they're like I, I'm told it's good. And we kind of get into uh, yet another episode of the culture wars. Let's let's try and kill that for a second and and take a different view. The definitions that I just read to you that most people would would concur with. Are describing um, a process of reinvention, of reconsideration, and of reevaluation. And here's the thing on that basically, everyone is in an ongoing process of reinventing and reconsidering and reevaluating all the time. Some of us are being honest about that. A lot mm. of us feel uncomfortable about it, and so we don't acknowledge it. But man, it's not just with your faith people are in a constant mode of reinvention and reconsideration and reevaluation in their careers in their relationships in their self image people are are reevaluating and reconsidering things all the time it's actually a deeply courageous thing to own that and to mm-hmm. be honest and to say there is a thing in my life that i'm not sure it's where i want it to be and i'm not sure i want to stay where i've been and i i want to give myself the permission to Um, take a fresh look at things. The alternative to that is actually just willful denial, which is basically never good. It's very, very hard to think of a scenario where insisting that an area of your life is exactly perfect, exactly as it is. And the only right thing is to never change anything about it. But maybe, maybe the exception to that would be like you're, like Jed's
1: feelings towards Taco Bell, he never has to has to rethink that at all. No. It my, my. will henceforth and forevermore be a love relationship with this restaurant.
2: Y- you have it exactly right. But for everything that is not Taco <laughs> Bell, for everything that is not Taco Bell, oh, we gotta we gotta think about things. Let's talk for a second about an example that doesn't have any emotional weight, I hope, uh to it but that has direct parallels to the, the common concept of deconstruction. Suppose that you live in some kind of home and it's a place that, that you own so you can make changes to it. It could be a condo. It could be a, a townhouse. It could be a single family home. It doesn't matter. But you've got a kitchen or a bathroom that is just not working for you. you it's, it's not supporting your life. You're not able. You don't feel good about it. You don't like the way it looks. You don't like the way it smells. You don't like the way that it operates. You should make changes to that room. Now, here's the first thing that's going to happen if you're going to remodel that kitchen you're going to remodel that bathroom. You've got to pull stuff out. You've got to tear down and get rid of things first. The remodeling begins with demo. It begins with demolition. You have to knock down a wall. You have to take a fixture off. You have to tear up the floor. You've got to get stuff out of there before you can build up and build in Something new. And that journey, and I'm still hanging with me on the analogy for a second. That journey actually requires a bit of suspension of disbelief. You're going to make things certainly less stable um, as you do this work. And you hope that this remodel lands in a place you feel good about. I'm sure um, those of us with experience in the construction trades can tell us not all remodels land in places people feel great about. Some of them were not super thrilled with with where it is. And some of them are all of our dreams come true. But the thing that is for sure is if you're not pleased with this kitchen, you're going to have to make some changes to get to a new place with it. You're going to have to take some things out and take some things down in order to do something new. Now let's bring it back to you and bring it back to your friend. If your friend was remodeling their home, your wish for your friend would be, "Dude, I hope at the end of this remodel that you feel great about your new kitchen." Mm. I hope that you love your new kitchen and that you get to cook great meals and host great dinner parties and that it's, I I hope it's the kitchen of your dreams that I hope that would be your wish for your friend. I think that you should have the exact same thing about their faith journey. I hope that as you deconstruct and reconstruct and build out the section of your life, I hope that you build something you feel amazing about. I hope that you build something that gives you joy and peace and strength and stability. And I wish that for you because you're my friend and I love you. And I would want that in my own life. I would want a, a space of faith in my own life that gave me peace and joy and stability and hope and, and direction. And so whatever gives that to you, I, I hope that that is where this process lands. You already know how to do that for someone who is reconstructing their home. You can actually have that same heart towards someone who is deconstructing and reconstructing what they believe.
0: A fantastic place to start that off, wonderfully put. And leave where we take it from there.
1: First of all, there's really not very much to add to that. I agree with every single thing that that Jed just laid down. The remodeling uh, picture is just such a great way for us to get our heads around this. Um, You know, there's a there's a thing that I encountered uh a couple of years ago. It was very surprising to me. I had a friend who recommended a a podcast uh where uh like a a pastor was giving a talk at like a conference. And and this this guy is uh he was a I I <laughs> admittedly I didn't really want to listen to the podcast episode because the the guy in question is like the provost of the uh of the Dallas Reformed Theological Seminary and i was just like i just don't want to listen to it
0: a lot of red lot of red flag words in there
1: yeah but he, uh his name is dr carl ellis he's a senior fellow of the african american leadership initiative uh it turns out to be a really cool dude and um he was talking about um the fact that you know so much in the reform tradition like people talk about how you know the real problem in the world is not that, you know, that, that we need to have uh you know social justice and and all this kind of stuff. We just we just need to get everybody saved. The gospel is the problem, you know, people are lost. And he was and he was just kind of hammering that whole perspective and 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 uh and and telling people how important social justice is in the scriptures. Hello. Um it was it was a really good talk. But one of the things that really surprised me, especially coming from like a uh, you know, somebody that is the provost of the Reformed Theological Seminary is he said, I ditch all my theology every three years. I start over from scratch. I ditch it all. Everything that everybody's ever, you know, all the, all the commentaries that all the Reformed dudes love, I, I throw it all out. And I start over with the scriptures, and I walk with people, and I try to figure out what does it mean to know God. Start from scratch. And I was like, dude, that is a, it's so interesting to hear somebody in a position like that say those words. And it was, it was a really cool thing because I, it, it was, it was the, uh, it was like somebody with some kind of bona fides being willing to admit exactly what Jed said, which is this faith cannot remain unchanged and serve us. Yep. We have to, this is a complicated world we have not gotten things right we have to figure out what this is by ditching some stuff and and figuring out what this is really about go back to jesus go back to the prophets go back to the songs that are in the scriptures and chuck out all that all the church stuff and all the things and figure out what does it mean to know god what does it mean to walk with god And somebody might be at a point in deconstruction where they're like, I'm not even interested in that question. I'm too hurt. I'm too frustrated. I'm too fed up. I don't want to know what it means to know God. Well, the answer for anybody that's in that place is, um, I think the the original question was, what's the loving way to act? The loving way to act is always generosity patience, friendship. Be generous with people. Give more space. Give more support. Give more encouragement. Somebody is on the journey that they're on. I want to treat that process with generosity and with patience and friendship. I'm not on their journey. They're on it. I would love to be a friend to them in the midst of that. Um, I actually think that if you're a person where um, by the way, I think that, that one of the things that, that makes people struggle with this idea of deconstruction is they're simply afraid. They're, they're afraid of people questioning their faith. They're afraid that people, are going to, uh, that people are going to run away from this faith, that they're going to leave it. Um, and we need to not be—as people who know God— we need to pe- be people who are not operating out of fear, but actually operating out of a place of trusting the, who God is and the work of the Spirit and the good news of the gospel. And even if, you know, if somebody is deconstructing all of that stuff, just trusting God and walking with them through that as a person who learns how to ask great questions or not ask any questions at all and say, do you want to go watch the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie with me? Why, yes, I would. It looks hilarious. Let's go do that today. We don't have to have an opinion about how people are walking out their faith journey. We can just treat them with generosity and friendship.
0: Uh, Fantastically put by by both of these guys. I think they got all over that. So we're going to move on to our next question. It comes in and says, I don't feel like I know if I'm doing well spiritually or not. There's not like a way to measure it. So how? do I know? And a- another wonderful question, and Jed, where do we start this off?
2: This is a great question, and I actually think in in a very meaningful and important way, it's going to link back to our previous question. If you were to do take a very broad definition of spirituality, and, and particularly if you kind of wanted to weigh in, you know, perspectives of people who don't come from a Christian background, um, you know, just what what is spirituality and and what is the point? I think the, the through line that would run through the vast majority of faith traditions that exist or really have ever existed um, on planet earth is that spirituality is ultimately about a sense of connectedness. It's about a sense of connectedness to a power greater than yourself um, and to a community larger than yourself. Now, What that power is, what that community is, what that connection is and looks like, I mean, that the details begin to vary significantly, um, you know, depending on what kind of faith tradition we're talking about. But that idea of connectedness tends to run through the vast majority of faith traditions. And again, both to a power that is in some way greater than yourself and to a community that is larger than yourself. And if you wanted to add one more, it would be to a purpose that is also greater than yourself. I say that to say that if you want to know how you're doing spiritually, a really great question to ask, and a question to ask regularly is, how are those connections going? Mm. Do I feel, if I'm a person who is seeking the following, do I feel a sense of connectedness to a power greater than myself? How is that How is that going? How is that working in, in my life? Is, is that power greater than myself. And that sense of connectedness is that leading to fruit that I feel good about. Is that leading to me being a more compassionate person and a more understanding person and a more loving person? And then there's that sense of a community that is greater than myself that I, I have a sense of connectedness to. How is that going? Like everybody has some form of community in their lives. Uh, there there's really no one who lives a 100% isolated life, but do I feel connected to that community? Is, is it giving me a sense of belonging? Is it giving me a place where I can give back? Is it giving me, mm. um, a sense of, uh, brotherhood or sisterhood? Is it giving me, um, a sense in a broad way, uh, in non, um, genetically, but is it giving me a sense of family? Is it, is it doing those things? And then that last one, that sense of, of connectedness to a sense of purpose You know, do I feel like there's anywhere in my life where I feel connected to a sense of purpose, to a sense of, of calling, if you want to use that language, where I'm in some way making the world better for someone else, where I'm, you know, in some way giving back, where I'm in in some way paying it forward. And I would advise you, I'd encourage you to approach those questions as non-judgmentally as possible of like, you don't need to. you don't need to feel bad about the ones where you'd like them to be different, and you certainly don't need to feel full of yourself on the ones that are, you know, you feel are going well, but just here, here's where I think we're at. And then I think you're really beginning to look at just some some follow-up why questions. You know, like I, I, you know, I know people, but I don't really feel like I have a sense of community. I certainly don't feel a sense of community that, that has a spiritual component to it. Okay, well, why not? Is, is there... Is there intimacy in these relationships? Is there vulnerability in these relationships? Is there trust in these relationships? Do, do you feel known? And do you, do you feel like you know these other people in a deep way? No judgment. If, if you don't feel that way, is it possible to build that? Are these people you want to build that with? Are these people that are, are worthy of knowing you on a deep level and, and in a deep way? If what you're doing isn't giving you that sense of connectedness, provided that you're seeking that sense of connectedness, then you should change some things. As I said, this kind of links back to our previous question about deconstruction for anybody. If you're not feeling a sense of connection in your life in areas where you want to feel a sense of connection, you should do a reconstruction project. Mm -hmm. You should absolutely take some stuff out and try put some new stuff in because that's. If you want to know, for me, what is, what is beautiful about, about spirituality in, in a general sense, what's beautiful about it is that it shows us a path to greater connection. All of us live better and fuller and truer and deeper lives when we are connected. Certainly when we are connected to our fellow man and our community, and I would submit when we are connected to a sense of purpose and to a sense of a higher power. Um, but you know what, here's here's the great news is even if you're like, well, the, the woo-woo stuff sounds real woo-woo, so I'm not really into that, start with the community. Like, I don't think it's good for hardly anybody to live a life of rampant isolation. So if the if the thing that makes sense to you is, I'd like to feel a greater sense of connection just to my community and the brotherhood and sisterhood of all mankind, let's figure out how to do that. And again, I think that that health checkup, as you put it, is about asking, where do I feel connected? Where do I not? And what things can I try to get this in a place where I feel better about it?
0: Uh, I think that's a wonderful place to to start this conversation off. And Lee, where do we take it from there?
1: I mean, really similar stuff, man. I, I love Jed's answer, and I think the 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 one thing that I really want to underline um, is just where he's you know where he he said make sure that in in all of these evaluations to take out that element of judgment. Um, really, I think. Being kind to yourself and allowing the process to take a long time. A lot of times with evaluation, you know, the, we, it's like I go to the doctor. The doctor runs some tests. I want to know the answer from those tests as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, I, if I'm, if I'm going to be if – if they're going to shove me in that MRI tube, I want to know exactly what the score is as soon as possible. Um, I don't think this is that kind of situation. I don't think there are I don't think you could come up with, you know, um some super specific things that like these are the measurements, this is how you know how you're doing spiritually. I think just some seriously honest um introspection about how do I feel? Um here's a really good one. Jed Jed talked a lot about um about community and and connectedness and I think that's really important. But let me let me submit as an evaluative question, how do you feel when you are alone and it's quiet? What's your sense of peace or not peace? Is that, is that a space where you feel comfortable and a space where you feel um, at, like you can get to a place where you're at home in yourself and you have a center? Or is that a place where you feel like, turn a show on immediately, or I'm going to combust? And again, like Jed said, we're not judging this process. This is just a good question to ask. Uh, spirituality does give us connectedness to a community greater than ourselves. But also, I would think a good measure of, of spirituality is, is it, am I a person that's learning how to be at peace with myself, alone with myself? And and so that's a really good measure too. Um, like some of the things, there are certain themes that that run through. Like Jed said, that run through every faith tradition. Definitely super present in anybody that wants to have a relationship with God or walk with Jesus. Uh, I would say one of them is serving people. One of them actually is singing. What like what's your relationship to helping people, and what's your relationship? To singing, like literally singing aloud. Um, Try some of those things on. Try some honest prayer. What does it? How do I feel when I'm alone? What does it feel like to sing? Um, Even if you start with a song that's not really about God or whatever, um, a love song's fine. um, And help someone. Things that are just that are kind of ubiquitous in these sacred texts and in every faith tradition. Helping people, being at peace, alone uh opening your heart up and singing especially if you're you know I'm singing to God or something like that how do those things strike you how do they fall on you um even as you're hearing me talk about it um are, are any of them anxiety inducing if they are relax we're not in a hurry this is not an MRI we are not like we don't need the test results tomorrow we don't need the test results in 10 minutes let's be kind to ourselves let's take some time and try to work through some things that that are just kind of Really, base level things that that most faith traditions, and definitely the tradition of of someone who is walking with Jesus, would provide or hope to give us.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's wonderfully put by both of these guys, and I think it's, as as Leah's pointing us to there, this. So sometimes when things overall are unmeasurable, we can break them down into some measurable measurable components, and this is really not one of those things, unfortunately. Um, But what we can do is break it down to do other components that are also while not measurable, maybe more feel outable would be the way I would put it. And I think Lee gave us a super important one, which is peace. And if we had to pick another one, I think we would go with love, Um, you know, and it's a little hard to tell. From maybe a day to day, do I have more peace or less peace or more love or less love uh, in in myself than I did previously? But it is the kind of thing you can kind of feel as you pull the camera out to to weeks to months you know my I feel like this is trending in a way where i'm I'm getting better at having holding on to channeling to other people things like peace and love or am I struggling more with that and I think that also points us to an important thing here, which is spiritual growth if you're gonna buy into the idea of growth and I think uh, Jed gave us a maybe a better rubric at the beginning of connectedness mm-hmm. is is not something that exists on a linear scale. You don't move from a, a, this amount of it to, you know, t- 10 units of spiritual connectedness <laughs> to build on to 12 and then you go up to 20 and then you, you lose a little bit to go to 19. This is a very we're dealing with kind of, you know, uh, ineffable things here. So we have to do our best with them, but you can kind of feel as this. Is it, so I don't think the idea of growing is necessarily, if you look at, you know, am I, am I benching, you know, 20 pounds more than I was six months ago Has this grown in that way, but am I doing better or worse than I was last week? What, what, okay. Maybe I'm doing worse. What, what is that about? What's what are external factors? What are internal factors? What can I work on? What can I talk to someone about? Am I doing better? Okay. I I'm I feel like I'm doing better. I'm more connected. What what's going on with that? How can I get some more of that? Because I know there's going to be less connected times coming up. So I'd like to have some things I can some reserves I can tap into, some strategies I can use. I think that is the other kind of unhelpful idea when we talk about things like spiritual growth is this idea of uh almost tracking it like a like a bank account. Am I, I mean, is it growing or is it shrinking? Is it is it good or is it bad? Can I get to exponential growth? Uh, feeling not feeling connected feels good uh, feeling not connected feels bad so that's enough of a reason to want to to go with the one over the other but we're not we're not looking to build a portfolio of spiritual growth over time we're not trying to you know hit a PR where we're trying to uh, achieve a happy sustainable life and that's an important uh, goal in and of itself if you have a question for us at that podcast dot thebridgechicago.tumblr.com the song this week. We go into the Lee Younger catalog. Ooh. Pull out "As I Am." Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. And when I run, when I run from you so fast, from you
3: so fast, when, fast I'm when I'm ashamed of all my past, of all my past when you're seeking past. me you're seeking with love that lasts. Last last you love me as. I feel when all of us is lost in pain.